You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, as we are continuing on in our series, the ushers have Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in your hand this morning, raise your hand. They would love to put one, a copy of God's Word in your hand. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, um, take that Bible home with you as our gift to you and, uh, and, and allow God's Word to change and, and to um, do a mighty work in your life. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll look at it in a couple of moments. Now, one of the things that I enjoy being able to do is to go biking on the trails behind our house. And it's, it's the area called Thompson Flats, and it is an area that I enjoy being able to go on days off in the evenings and oftentimes when I go biking, and as I'm telling Charlotte, hey, I'm heading out for a bike ride, one of the things that she oftentimes will say to me is, um, she will say, um, make sure you put on your helmet. Why? She wants me to protect my head. And, and, and for good reason, because um, it seems like about once or twice a year that I happen to fall off my bike, or I mean wipe out dramatically, I guess you could say, and, um, and, and, and oftentimes uh, thus resulting in uh, a number of things happening, from getting the wind knocked out of me to um, a little more seriously um, injuring my ankle or my knee to some scrapes to some bruises. Thankfully, it's just been nothing too serious, and, and uh, on a number of those occasions, on some of those uh, dramatic wipeouts, um, it would, I did hit my head. My head did hit the ground, and thankfully, those were the days that I had my helmet on. And, and there were some days where you just kind of go out and, and, you know, I have a ball cap on, I have sunglasses, and I head on a bike ride, and it's partways on that bike ride where all of a sudden, I, was, oh, I don't have my helmet on. And, and there's a certain kind of like, oh, you better be careful. But the, the greatness of knowing that you have your head protected is pretty huge and pretty important. And, and so for that reason, protecting our heads are important. And, and probably if your home is something like ours, you would have a variety of different helmets that you would have kicking around your house for biking, for different things like that. You know, this is one of our kids, you know, for decoration, I guess, a little bit. And, and, and so having, you know, helmets are, are a great thing. And, you know, for different sports that you might play, there's, you know, a different helmet for, for the various sports and activities you might be on. And then there's some beautiful helmets like this that, that, that you have around and, you know, nice little talking piece and, you know, my favorite football team. And, and then there's some that you actually wear to the games because then you look a lot more cool when you go in person and wear uh, stuff like this. And so you have some fun with some of these kind of helmets. And, and, um, and so helmets are a very important part of our lives. And, 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 um, and all of you, no doubt, you have, you know, some of you have to wear a helmet or a safety helmet or headwear of some sort, even at your work. Because we know that and anyone who has suffered or knows someone who has suffered some sort of a head injury knows that recovery can be very long, very slow, very difficult, and sometimes the damage that can happen to our heads can even be permanent. And as believers in Christ, at the very moment of our salvation, we are given a spiritual helmet. A helmet is placed on our heads. 
and it is there to protect us from the headshots that will affect our lives and can be so debilitating when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. And so today we come to the fifth piece of the armor, and we have the Apostle Paul being led by the Holy Spirit, writing this, and he today is basically telling us, protect your head. You need to protect your head. And so let's begin reading. We're going to read the passages we've been doing all throughout the, this series, and I'm going to start at verse 10, and then when, you get to, when we get to verse 14, jump up from your chairs, and let's read it aloud together. I'll start at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Now join me together in standing, and let's read this aloud together. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You can be seated. And I trust that even joining us at home, that, that you are also too declaring God's Word in your homes or wherever you are watching from. Now, we've already looked at a number of pieces of the armor. We've looked at five of them, or four of them so far, and today we're going to get into number five. But just a, a quick recap, first of all, the first piece of armor that we put on, that we are to put on, is the belt of truth, which prepares me for battle. Fasting on the belt of truth is about making sure that every part of our lives is tied to God's truth. That as we go through the day and as we are reminded, as we come to understand the Word of God, as there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we want to tie our lives to the Word of God, that we are in step with God in His Word. The breastplate of righteousness protects my heart. The gospel shoes provides peace in any and all situations. The shield of faith defends me from all the evil attacks of, from the evil one. We are to put God's word, as we talked about last week, put it up as a shield in between us and the enemy who is trying to destroy, condemn, discourage us in any way that he so can and, and will desire to do so. And we put up the shield, and when we put up the shield, that means that we are holding on to, we are declaring, we are remembering, and we are walking in the truth and in the promises of God. We're putting that between us and whatever it is that we are facing. Today, the helmet of salvation, which protects my head, which preserves my mind. And how important the helmet is. Our, our, our verse today in verse 17 is six words. How do you get a whole sermon out of six words? Well, 
I've spent a lot of time deleting because there is so much that we could have said and we're only tied to like two hours here. So, uh, well, no, even shorter than that. And so, um, because we have another service and because you start falling asleep after a little while. But it's so amazing, these six words, what this means. And today there's three considerations that we can look at when it comes to protecting the head. And I trust that we would consider this, but then we would also act upon it. There's absolutely no sense coming here today hearing the word and then just walking out and just not allowing it to change and transform. I trust that at the end of our time together, there will be areas in your life you're going to say, hey, I need to take God's word and I need to declare it over these areas in my life because the headshots that you have been facing and that you will face this week are enough to pummel you and to continue to put you on the ground flat out and be discouraged and wiped out in your relationships but with others, in what is going on, in the fear factor in your life and also greatly affect our relationship with God. And this is such a battle that we have for the truth of God's word. And, and the reality is, first of all, write this down. Here's the three considerations. The first one being the reality, headshots are sure to come. The enemy is so crafty, he is so subtle, and, and to become a follower of Jesus Christ is to be immediately introduced to spiritual warfare. Before you are a follower of Christ, before you commit your life to Christ, the enemy is trying to keep you from being saved and is trying to have that grip on your soul. But once we become a follower of Christ, the Lord now has us. We are his. He is, he is ours. But the thing is, he is going to come and he is going to try to discourage us and try to do all that he can to try to think that he can pluck us out of, out of his hand, out of the Lord's hand, which he can't. And, and the most effective methods that the enemy uses is to get us to, first of all, forget about the spiritual battle, to forget and not even to think about the spiritual realm. A lot of times people think that, you know, oh, to believe in the devil just seems so crazy. That's kind of like, you know, from Greek mythology or some weird sort of thing. Well, there's two groups of people that definitely believe in the devil. You know who that is? Bible-believing Christians and Satanists. They both, both of us believe very much in the power of the devil and that he is real. And we must remember, always folks, we have to remember there is a spiritual realm that we cannot see it, but there is a battle even taking place right now over the German club. It, it happens all throughout time, like throughout, throughout the week and other gatherings that are happening here. But you can believe that all of a sudden there is this battleground taking place, trying to send darts your way to discourage you, to try to, uh, uh, to confuse you when it comes to the word of God, to try to mess me up, to do different things so that I don't proclaim God's word, and, and all kinds of different things going on in the spiritual realm. Now, we don't need to be consumed with it, we need to be aware of it. We need to be constantly aware that our battle is not supremely against people because how easy it is to think that we are at war with our politicians. We are at war with our neighbors. We are at war with loved ones, with family members, with our spouse, whatever it may be, that we, that we battle on in the physical realm. The enemy loves to use people and situations to be able to discourage and to defame, to preoccupy us, even to destroy us. And he loves to do this controlling through the spiritual realm and affecting and, and having an effect on the lives of people around us and even, at, even for us at times to be used for his purposes in bringing discouragement or maybe it's whatever it might be, distraction um, for others. And if we forget this truth or don't realize this reality, we will spend time attacking and destroying one another. And we do that very well. And we need to stop that. The enemy works hard to discover multiple entry points 
whereby he might be able to gain a foothold to gain control, whether it is in the words and the actions of others towards us or invading thoughts and arrows and fiery darts into our minds, things like all of a sudden we start thinking certain thoughts of accusations or irrational fear overcomes our life or guilt or jealousy or bitterness or the voices in your head telling you the worst of things, things like you're not saved, you're a loser, you're hopeless, you're useless, God has no plan for your life. Those are the lies coming to you, those fiery darts from the enemy. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, none of that is true. And none of that needs to have a hold and a grip on us. The enemy loves to invade our minds with overwhelming thoughts of temptation, panic attacks, suicidal thoughts, at times depression, and other mental issues can be attributed to the enemy. Things that have no basis in reality all of a sudden just, just come in, 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 I don't even know the word, just explode within our minds these realities and these things. And that's all part of the spiritual battle. The enemy is active in this warfare to see us crushed and destroyed by relational conflict, or, or, or whether it's in the circumstances around us to see us so discouraged and beat up over the loss of a job, over a health diagnosis that is not good, the loss of a loved one, the worldwide virus with all of its tentacles that just seem to be ever reaching into every part of our lives. All of these are different wiles and schemes and tactics of the enemy to bring destruction and division and to destroy our joy and our strength and our power and our confidence that we ought to have in the Lord. All of these things have a great potential that we face to rattle us, to consume us, to divide us, to tempt us, and to ruin our relationships with those around us. Paul likens this spiritual warfare to hand-to-hand combat. And that's why we have this spiritual armor, because it's not from a distance. This is hand-to-hand with weaponry. This is a war that's going on, and he likens it to, to weaponry with, with swords and shields and, and arrows and darts and chariots and attacks coming from all around and stepping over people and bodies and all of these different things. And it's so vital that we know that we do not have to be taking hit after hit after hit in a way that destroys us, but that we can take the hits with an armor that will protect us and that we can be protected from any and all attacks from the evil one, that we can fight well, that we can stand firm. But it means we need to step up. It just doesn't mean that we just, you know, kind of float along and, and, and the spiritual battle is just going to kind of take care of itself. No, we need to fight well, stand firm, put on the whole armor of God. And that's what, why we've been going through this one, verse at, one section at a time. Now, the head is a primary target for the enemy. It is in, in modern-day warfare. And I think of some of the movies that perhaps you have seen um, in the past, something like Saving Private Ryan. There's one scene there that reminds us of the horrors and the sacrifice for our freedom and for the freedom of countless millions of people that, that soldiers and families have given incredible costs over the years. But there's one scene that, that sticks out in, in my mind of a soldier who took off, he, he took a headshot with a, from a bullet and, and his helmet protected him. But right away, his first reaction was to take his helmet off and to look at it. And, and, and before anyone could even say, no, don't do that, he took another shot to the head and was done. It can happen so quickly and so fast. 
one moment you can be going along and boom, 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 everything is going great, and that and, and, and then that dart hits, the bullet hits, and kaboom, we get we get a headshot. And if we're not careful, it's gonna be headshot after headshot after headshot, and we're gonna be our heads gonna be bouncing all over the place. And and if we if if our helmet is not on securely and fastened tightly and properly, we can find ourselves in a very bad place within seconds. And the reality is headshots are sure to come. But we can, we must protect the head. And Paul uses this metaphor of a Roman soldier's helmet. And, and uh, we've shown this and referred to this before. And, 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 um, and uh, some, some friends of mine, this was years ago, that gave it to us. And, and there was an element of the Roman soldier's helmet that, that was for decoration. And, and some of them that you'll see, they had those kind of bigger plumes on them. You know, that, there's a part for decoration. But for the most part, it was for protection. It was made out of various metals and, and different ways to, to be able to protect the head because it's vital that you do this. Now, I was looking for something to be able to stand this on and, and that, and uh, I did find uh, someone here that could maybe help in this. And, and uh, this, is, this is Martin. Um, our son bought this at a thrift store years ago, and Martin has made uh, Western Canadian road trips with us. Uh, getting quite the reactions from um, drivers that you pass and different things when it is put in the right place. Um, sometimes Martin shows up in our guest bedroom when we have guests and is placed between the pillows. And when our guests uh, take the, the, the blankets off, there's Martin. And so, uh, so Martin made it to church today. Martin uh, maybe needs Jesus too. And so here we have uh, him here getting some protection, and he's got this long hair, and, uh, and, a man, and Charlotte tied his, his uh, hair back in a, in a man bun today. Um, anyway, so, so, so here we go. We have Martin, and, and, and Paul uses this metaphor of this Roman soldier, um, which, which, again, had, was for decoration and for, for protection, and it was, very, it was built very strong, but on the inside there was either felt or sea sponge in order to be able to fit the, the soldier's head well, cushioning him, uh, cushioning it from um, the, the metal and from the blows that he would, would no doubt receive. The helmet would be incredibly durable, being able to withstand attacks of rocks being thrown, or rocks or bricks or, or spears or arrows or even repeated blows. I was reading this week, even would be able to withstand repeated blows from a hammer or an axe, would not be able to penetrate because it was so strong. And therefore, the helmet needs to be on securely, covering the entire area for the soldier and even strapped on in, in the proper way. It needs to not just be placed on, it needs to be put on firmly. And so it, it is important that, that even in our own lives and, and the helmets that we were talking about a little earlier, it's, it's important that we protect the head. And, and protect the brain. The brain, I mean, the helmet, ideally, first and foremost, it protects our brains. And, and our brains that are used for thinking, for motor skills, for reasoning, for controlling so much of our lives. It is the command center, and so we need to protect the command center. But also, believe it or not, attached to our head are some other really important things as well. It protects our eyes so that we can see our nose by which we can smell, our, our mouth by which we speak and, and we can warn others, but also our mouths by which we can eat and be replenished and strengthened. It protects our ears by which we are able to hear. And, and protection for all of these are so vital that it goes all the way around and having this kind of protection is so well needed. 
A helmet offers safety and protection, but also great confidence to go into the battle. I mean, just even experiment. Put a helmet on a five-year-old kid, a five-year-old boy, and just watch his confidence level go up, right? In just what he can do and, and perhaps the walls that he can bash into and that. And, and he might come to, to realize they're maybe not all uh, the be-all and end-all when it comes to protection, but it's certainly really helpful. Now, behind the picture of the Roman soldier, there is the picture, though, once again referring to the Old Testament, the armor of God that goes back to the Old Testament, where we see God as the mighty warrior who fought and won the victory for us. God, the worker and the bringer of salvation. Isaiah 59, verse 17, important verse in this series for, that we've referred to and referred to again. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Who put it on? God, the mighty warrior. This helmet is placed on the head then of every soldier, every believer in Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation. And it is placed on the, the, on the head of every believer by the nail-pierced, blood-stained hands of Jesus. And this helmet is placed on us. And so first we need to protect the head because the reality is headshots are sure to come. But second of all, we must realize when it comes to protecting the head, the necessity is real. The necessity is we need to think clearly in all situations. It's absolutely essential that we have clear thinking whatever it is that comes our way. When the Apostle Paul was writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. How many of us are run by fear? Believer in Christ with the helmet of the salvation placed firmly on our heads, and we are told that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we have been given a, a mind, we've been given the way to be able to think powerfully and, and to realize that we have been given a mind and a spirit of love, of self-control. Fear does not need to win the day in our lives, and yet how oftentimes does it? The Apostle Paul, when he was writing then later to, to, um, to Timothy in, in, second, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says to him, keep your head in all situations. Keep thinking clearly in all situations. And there are times when I get confronted when, with, with various um, obstacles, arguments, or whatever, there's almost a part where, I don't know if you're like this, so my head almost starts swirling. And I just kind of like, you know, just reason at times just goes out the window. And this is where Paul is telling us, keep your head in all situations. How do we do it? By having the, the helmet of salvation firmly placed on our head. It is easy to lose perspective and focus and concentration, lose our grip on the truth, not be able to see the bigger picture. So oftentimes we just see the here and the now, it's not, not what is going on. And we don't realize and understand the spiritual realm that is, is taking place, but we also oftentimes forget the wonderful promises of God that He is using, He is working in all things. And we are to keep our heads in all situations. The 20th century has spawned some very ugly things. And two very ugly twins that the 20th century has spawned, it would see, is mindlessness and meaninglessness. Think about that. Think about the hours we can spend in a day watching, scrolling, searching, in pursuits that at the end of the day are so futile and you put your head on the pillow at night, and it's like, well, that was a waste of time. 
meaninglessness, mindlessness just rule the day, as opposed to strengthening and sharpening our knowledge and confidence in God and in His Word. There's so many resources and opportunities for us to be strengthened in this way, and yet so oftentimes, meaninglessness and mindlessness, whether that's in conversations, whether that is in pursuits, or whether it's just kind of in our relaxing time, and I'm not saying it's wrong to relax and different things like that, but oftentimes, we spend so much time in meaninglessness and mindlessness. It's vital to know the beauty and the heights and the depths and the vastness of what it means to put on the helmet of salvation. Do you know what it means to put on the helmet of salvation? Probably not, we, because these aren't things often we dig into, and that's why we need to dig into this. You see, it's vital that we understand and that we know that, that we that Christianity, biblical Christianity, isn't just about having some sort of emotional experience, that it's theological. It's not just merely sentimentality that is taking place, but there's, there's a, a depth and a richness. And so, sadly, once again, so many people perceive Christians and biblical Christianity to be something where you must check your brains at the door where you, know, you just kind of have to let go of all reason and just jump in faith and just believe kind of you know, blindly or, or just to believe in, in just you know, a manger, a cross, a, a tomb, like some of this. And, and, and it just means like, okay, I'll believe that if that's what it is. No, it's, it is that easy. It is that amazing. It is that wonderful. But there's a depth to it. There is a richness. There's a beauty to it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Wonderful song. How many of you know that song? Yeah. And some of you are just too lazy to raise your hand here today. I mean, you, you kids hear that song, and, and you know, we teach that song um, to our children and, and to grandchildren, and, and, and you were probably raised it with any sort of, um, you go to summer camp, vacation Bible school, Sunday school, at grandma's house, whatever, you'd hear, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Great song, great truth, great song, great truth for kids, for all of us. But we also need to dig into what does the Bible tell me so? What does it say? A scripture and a reference for it. A book, a chapter, a verse. It's not just about disengaging one's thinking in order to become a person of faith. No, it's the opposite. Because when you open and you study and research the Word of God, it introduces us to complexities that are metaphysical in their dimensions. And all throughout the Word of God, there runs a line that is so runs with history. It's historical. It's, it, it's proven in, in archaeology, in, in science, in theology, and, and in rational thinking. It makes sense. It's not, a, 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 it's not just something where we believe that science deals with all things when it comes to in terms of rational thinking and faith comes to deal with in the realms of mindlessness. Not so at all. There is a depth and a beauty. And God's word, the Bible, the gospel, the good news, the helmet of salvation is actually a call to not only feel, but to think deeply on the truth of what our salvation means. What does the helmet of salvation truly need mean to us? And so the reality, the necessity to think clearly in all situations. And thirdly, we have the call. When it comes to protecting the head, there is a call, and here it is. This is the call to trust in Christ alone. This is where it's so simple. This is where it's so easy. 
This is where it is for a child to understand or the smartest person in the world to understand, to trust in Christ alone. And the call to trust, to trust unreservedly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now turn to Romans 5. We're going to look at a number of verses there, and you've got to see this and, and perhaps underline in your Bibles. And, and, and so turn to Romans chapter 5. And, and in Romans chapter 5, we see the helmet of salvation is more than just simply knowing that you're a Christian. It's simply, it's so much more than Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's getting into the depth of that. It reaches far and beyond the moment of our salvation. It encompasses the whole scope of our salvation. And this is why today we're going to delve into the next few moments the doctrine of salvation. What does this mean? We need to think deeply. We need to think well. We need to be able to understand this, that, that once, when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, that it is more, it is deeper, it is more beautiful and more wonderful than committing your life to Jesus Christ, that there is a past, there is a present, there is a future when it comes to our salvation. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There you can see in those two verses, we can see salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. And here is, is the beauty of this. And, and understanding these three tenses will be able to enable, I trust you walk out of here being able to stand firm in a greater way. That you'll be able to fight well knowing the depth and the beauty of our salvation. And the first, first part here when it comes to the doctrine of salvation is that, number one, we can have peace with God. This is our justification. When my past failures are haunting me, I can have peace with God. I encourage you to write this down. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Write that down. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. This is what, when we receive Christ, when he becomes our Lord and our Savior, the moment we receive that free gift of salvation, having understood that we are sinful and that our sins separate us from God and sentence us to hell, and it's understanding that, but it's also then by trusting in faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life. Jesus, Son of God, God in the flesh, came to this earth died on the cross for our sins. And at the very moment that we confess Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, asking Him to confess our sins, determining to, to walk His way in our lives, and we do that through faith alone, in what Christ has done, alone, not in works, not in anything else. In that very moment, we are declared righteous. We, we are justified before God. That is a legal declaration. The gavel sounds and the word is innocent innocent of all sin. And we go from being guilty to innocent. We are declared that. We go from being lost to found, from living in darkness to living in light, from being spiritually dead to becoming spiritually alive. The old is gone, the new has come. And the helmet of salvation is placed on our head at that very moment. And we have the beauty and the wonder and the depth and the amazing and the protection that God offers to us when we are justified, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And when feelings come of regret 
and shame and guilt over the past, over activities that we have been involved in, whether that be from abortion to extortion to adultery to a little white lie to petty theft to grand larceny, whatever it is, whatever the scope, whatever it is, there is forgiveness and we have been declared free and forgiven in Jesus Christ. And the memories and the accusations that leave you hopeless and feeling defeated, those arrows of doubt that come in, we must remind ourselves and we must remind the accuser, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. It has no hold on me. And more than this, God's word says that he chooses to remember our sins no more. We choose to hold on to other people's sins, don't we? We shouldn't. We ought not to. That's not right. Not after what God has done in our lives. Don't you, you release that person who you are holding onto the issues and the things they've said and the things they've done. You release them and release them into God's hands. Because he chooses, Hebrews 8.12, put that one in your book. Hebrews 8.12, he chooses to remember our sins no more. And this is where God's word just lines up so beautifully with science, with creation. Psalm 103, verse 12. Put that in your book, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Because once you start driving east, and you've got some all-terrain vehicle and boat and whatever it is that you need, you're going to always be going east. And as soon as, if you start driving west, you're always going to be, you're going to circle, circle the earth and you're going to continue to keep doing, keep going east or you're going to keep going west. I'm so thankful he didn't say as far as the north is from the south, right? Once you hit the north pole, you're going south. And just the beauty of this and, 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 and what a truth, what a salvation. That's the past tense. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Amen. Oh, I think I might quit. <laughs> I have been saved from the penalty of sin, amen? amen. And at home, I heard, uh, I hope your neighbors heard you shout, amen. How about the present tense? That's the past tense. How about the present? Standing in grace, walking in his grace. This is sanctification. When my present battles are paralyzing me, the helmet of salvation kicks into gear. When the present battles are paralyzing me. And write this down along with this. This is a reminder I am being saved from the power of sin. I am being saved from sin and its power. We stand, as it says, in grace. Verse 2, it says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access, grace, standing. This here is, is a reference, and there's so many other scripture references regarding progressive sanctification. Once we are justified, it just doesn't mean that we are instantly perfect. Although some people you meet might think they are. None of us are. None of us are instantly perfect, perfect nor will we be until we take our last breath here on this earth. And if somebody tries to tell you they have reached some sort of form of sinless perfection... First of all, you can just tell them, you can rebuke them and say, you're lying right now because none of us in our, right there, you're full of pride. And, and you know, and anyways, I mean, we can just go deeper than that if you want to, but I, I, we are going to continue to keep battling. A godly walk does not mean the absence of sin, 
the absence of struggle, the absence of temptation, that we will never fall. Look at the Apostle Paul, writer of Scripture, planter of churches, builder, equipper, pastor, elder, so many titles and, and, and so much that he did. And what, what is he even saying towards the end of his life? He's saying, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm just so glad that God doesn't show us all of our sins in one day. We would be so done. But as we grow, as we progress, we see more areas that need to come under his rule, under his authority, under his cleansing, under his transformation. A godly walk does not mean the absence of sin. No, a godly walk, sanctifications mean we wrestle with sin. That we are on a trajectory of holiness. That we or others, if we look at our life, if we examine or others would look at us and, and, and give a progress report and say, yeah, in the last year you've been changing, you've been growing. You're becoming more and more like Christ experiencing his love and his forgiveness and victory, growing in the area of peace, being able to fight well in the midst of the battles and the struggles. And then when we are bombarded with those fiery darts that come our way or the things that are happening all around us, we don't have to feel paralyzed and hopeless because we have a hope and we know that, that we are being saved, that God is doing that good work even in the midst of the things we don't understand or know we take and we stand on the truth of His Word, that we are in the process of being saved in a, in, to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the progression in our faith. And we have access it says here, to his grace, to his power, to his presence, day after day, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Charlotte and I have enjoyed watching The, uh, the Crown, a drama series and that chronicles the life of the royal family and especially Queen Elizabeth. And, and I don't know why we kind of got into it. I, our kids think, oh, you guys are so old. And, and, and it's kind of interesting to be able to watch it because I grew up, and Charlotte did the same, every Christmas day, my parents were tuning in to the Queen's Address on TV. And it seemed like every TV station, it's like, it's the Queen's Address. It would be, he, my parents remember hearing it on radio. And, and, and so it was one of those things where, it, and it was so, and it was like, we wanted to watch a Christmas show. And it was like, this lady from England with this accent sounded pretty cool in this neat crown, and, and, but it's so boring. I have no idea what she's saying. Well, we've been kind of taken with, with, with aspects of uh, that, that miniseries and, and even then causing us at times like to, to, to do some research and study on our history and just knowing like, wow, that was crazy, some of the things that took place during that time. And, and, and one of the things that you see that, that when someone would have an audience with the queen that a royal staffer would bring that person in and they would say, I present to you so-and-so. I present to you Aaron. I present to you Stephen. I present to you Peter. I, and, 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 and perhaps say a few things. And then you get your few moments with the queen. And, and it's just kind of that kind of special access. For believers in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, Jesus comes before the Father. And he brings us, he ushers us into the presence of God and says, I present to you my loved one. I present to you Meldon. I present to you Peter. I present to you Sharon. I present to you so-and-so. He or she is one of your dear children that, that you have loved from before the creation of this earth. You have loved and will love for all eternity and whose redemption I have purchased with my blood. And we just don't have a five-minute audience 
with our God, we have a lifetime privilege of being able to be in the presence of the Lord, to meet Him in His Word, to to worship Him, to pray, to adore, to walk with Him, and to know that as He walks with me, I can talk with Him, and that He is there for me and with me. This is the process of the present tense, the, the process of being saved from the power of sin that so greatly can affect our lives. And thirdly, and lastly, it's also a future. We rejoice in hope, as it says here. This is the glorification. When my future seems bleak and discouraging, we can rejoice in the hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, it says in the last part of verse 2. This is a reminder, I encourage you to write this down. I will be saved from the presence of sin. We've been released from the penalty of sin. We have help for the daily battle that we, we struggle in the power of sin. But one day, one day we will be saved from that very presence of sin. That one day the power, the presence of sin will be gone. This is called glorification. When our faith becomes our sight. Life can become so discouraging and so bleak at times looking at everything that's been happening in the last two years and, and still continues to rage on. No one truly knows where it's all going and what it will end like. Bring that to our own personal issues and uncertainties in health and family and finances. And it's vital that we get a glimpse of our future, that we just don't keep living and thinking about the here and the now, but we get a glimpse of the glorious hope that we have in heaven that is awaiting us. And so oftentimes in this Western world, we struggle than many other believers do because so much of our hope and so much of our, uh, of our concentration of, of our lives are on the here and the now. And when it's threatened, not going well, we struggle and we, we wonder where is God in all of us. The helmet of salvation is the promise of hope that there is a better day, a great day, an awesome day coming and an awesome eternity waiting for us. This isn't worldly hope that says, well, I hope the weather stays nice, or I hope my team wins, or I hope I pass the test. No, biblical hope, the promise of hope, the hope of our salvation is an absolute certainty. And today, even if you are a believer in Christ and you're sitting here and you're doubting it, you're allowing the enemy just to have just a huge effect in your mind. We need to clothe ourselves with the truth. Biblical hope is that promise. J.B. Phillips says that biblical hope is a happy certainty that the Spirit of God creates within the child of God a happy certainty, a confident, joyful expectation which rests in the promises of God. That is for you. That is for me. It's the hope that Christ is ultimately going to resolve this battleground, this warfare, and that one day he will return and he will make all things new. We are fighting in that war, in essence, though we have to understand, it's already been won. Even though the battle rages on, the end result is already taken care of. We don't have to worry about falling in fear or in defeat because we know that there is victory over sin and death. And I wonder today, where is your struggle? What front is the enemy going after you? And is it the past haunting you? The penalty of sin has been broken in Jesus Christ. 
Is it the present struggles that are paralyzing you? There is a standing that we have in God's grace, in his power that is available for us daily. And we stand in our relationship with God. We stand in community with brothers and sisters. We stand as we stand and hold firm to the word of God. Or maybe it's your future. You look ahead. You look ahead at the weeks, the months, the years ahead, and there can be aspects that can seem so bleak and so discouraging. Where do you need to take and you need to tighten up the helmet of hope, the helmet of salvation? Where do you need to tighten it up? I suggest the importance of talking to ourselves. Some of you say, oh, I do that all the time. People think I'm crazy. How many of you talk to yourselves? And people, you know, I think we all do that from time to time. And some of us are really good at it. But we need to speak and we need to talk the truth. It's reminding ourselves, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Satan, you have no hold on me. I am being saved from the power of sin. I have victory and strength. Even joy in the midst of this is, is mine in Christ. And it's also declaring, I have been saved. Or I will be saved from the presence of sin one day. The helmet, the hope of salvation. It's not purchased, it's not worked for, it's not earned. It's not by putting your time in church, it's not by doing a whole bunch of good works and giving a whole bunch of money. No, it's as simple as Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That word believe means hold on to, to cling to, to entrust your life to. The Lord, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, Son of God, came to this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Initially, this is how the helmet gets put on. But then daily, we need to strap it on. We need to make sure it's firm, fit in place because the attacks will come. And so it's put on initially and then continually. It's coming back to the knowledge of what our salvation really means. It's more and deeper and more, more incredible and has a depth to it than just an emotional experience at a summer camp when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's so much more and deeper than that because it's a daily salvation. We experience the joy and the victory. Are you discouraged today in the battle? Are you fading out because of the lack of victory? Take the helmet of salvation and declare it over your lives, what he has done. and Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved initially and daily from the battles and the struggles that we are facing. Let's pray together. And so God, even now, we are so thankful for your word that reminds us that since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope, the happy confidence that we can have in what you have done. I pray that there would be bondages that would be released in people's lives today because of the guilt and the shame from the past that they or others haven't been able to let go of in their lives. I pray that they would take a stand with the helmet today and strap it on tightly and say, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. The current struggles that we're facing and going through would we realize that there is daily grace and strength and access to our great God to see us through and to transform us to become more and more like Christ in the midst. And then also, too, would we rest our eyes on what is yet to come. That glorious hope of seeing you face to face one day and enjoy the awesomeness, the glory, the beauty of heaven forever and ever. And so this morning I encourage you, let's declare as we sing, in Christ alone I trust you've done. If you have not put your faith in Christ alone, today's the day to do that. Do not go another day without protection on the head. Otherwise you're done. And you'll be defeated. 
if there's areas in your life you need to strap on the helmet once again and, and tighten it up, do that in your life in declaring your love. Confess what needs to be confessed. If, if you desire to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a pamphlet, have a booklet we'd love to be able to give you and be able to walk with you and, and make sure, ensure that that helmet of salvation is placed firmly on your head. Let's stand together as we sing and declare God's word.